0: This is the vibe, Broken Arrow. This is a podcast about Broken Arrow, produced in Broken Arrow City Hall, mind you, for the people of Broken Arrow who work, live, and play here. And this is a this is one of those things that uh, we are starting new here for the city of Broken Arrow to expand the information and education that we're doing with our community. And I, my name is Aaron McCulloch. I'm the Communications Director for the City of Broken Arrow, and I'm happy to be joined by City Manager Michael Spurgeon and Mayor Deborah Wimpy with me today on this first episode. The Vibe Broken Arrow. And today we're going to talk about something that I know is near and dear to your hearts, and that's the revitalization efforts of New Orleans Square. So first of all, Mayor, thank you for joining us. How are you today? I'm
1: great. I'm excited about this launch for this new podcast. We're all about transparency and getting more information out there. So I think this is going to be one more great aspect to that.
0: Absolutely. City Manager Michael Spurgeon, thank you for joining us. I know you have a busy schedule as well, and I know this is really important to you too.
2: It is. I think the mayor hit the nail on the head, so to speak, because Last, I would say the last six years specifically, we've made a huge focus of trying to provide more information, uh, more uh, transparency to our community because uh, we want our citizens to be informed. So when they have to go to the polls or if they're out there, you know, talking amongst their their, their other um, neighbors or a church or at the soccer field. Uh, they're getting the right information about what's happening with the city, and the only way to do that is is have a great communications team, uh, which I'm very proud to say you're the lead, of and everybody else that works with you. This is just an amazing opportunity for us. Yeah. Well,
0: thank you for those <laughs> kind words. I'll pay you later. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you just talked about uh, being transparent and letting people know what's going on here. Let's get back to the origins here of New Orleans Square this whole thing started many many years ago so even though the completion project the improvements project out there has come to an end and it looks fantastic and i want to get your all's take on what your favorite part is and that sort of thing a little bit later on this didn't just start 18 months ago when you throw the contract out there for for bid and that sort of thing this started many many years ago who wants to take the lead on this and tell me how this all started? Because I know there was a citizen-led advisory committee.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and which several of our uh, counselors were a part of that. Um, and it's really neat. And I think um, these citizen-led committees, I think maybe you, you brought that mm-hmm. brainchild to the city, which is so appreciated because it really helps people get involved in the city, like governance and decisions that we make, and they don't feel like – because I know when I ran for council in 2017, a lot of people would say – the city, they don't want to hear what you have to say. Well, now we have city-led committees that actually help us make the decisions in the city. So that committee was was vital to what is happening right now. Um, and before that, the, the the bond funds that were voted on by the, the people, we had to figure out, we needed to decide exactly, you know, how do we use that to be the best, um, make the most use of those funds, um, which I'm sure city manager will touch on, but... Um, just knowing that those citizens had an active role in that and to see all of that come you know, full circle and be complete. Um, I think back whenever I was in high school, uh, I graduated in 1990 in and- I know what it was like when I was in, in intermediate school. So, you know, that was South Intermediate over there, which is now Batha, um, our freshman academy. Um, but that was where, you know, after track practice, we'd walk down, go to the grocery store, go to that area. That was the thriving area in our city. We didn't have Bass Pro Shop. We didn't have Tiger Hill, you know, and everything that's going on on the north side. Um, the north side was forgotten. So, um but over the years, you saw where it just kind of faded away on the north or the south side kind of faded away once Bass Pro kind of came in and took a lot of that, um, you know, limelight off of South B.A. But so it's really neat to see it kind of it come back to life. Um, some people may not even realize how many places we have there like how many restaurants we have you can eat there how many businesses in general what their sales tax generates every single month it's like 3 times what the rose district does and it's just mind blowing because some people still even though they live on the south side believe that it's a ghost town over there when it's thriving already but mm-hmm. this will just kick you know continue to kickstart it so
0: Well, i got to tell you, as as a transplant, because I grew up in Tulsa, didn't move to Broken Arrow until much later in life. And we all mature, get smarter, obviously, as (laughs) as, we age. Good job, yeah. uh, But I do remember, you know, I worked at Kmart when I was in in high school, the one at 21st and Garnett area, I guess. But I remember coming over and working at the Kmart here, too. And it's just... Oh, yeah, I forgot about Kmart. Yeah, you start going through those memories of just how this used to be a happening place. And like you said, North really wasn't there. So it's just it's really fascinating how does the improvements project play into this whole revitalization effort and what did the community the citizens have what kind of part did they play in that
2: well before i answer that question let me just step back like the mayor did and and um do a little reminiscing here okay so it's late january early february of 2004 and my dad's best friend was growing up through since probably First grade was a longtime Broken Arrow resident named Larry Allison.
1: And I graduated with his son, by the way. Yes, and I knew the mayor has has, has a
2: connection. Uh, Larry uh, moved to here probably in the early 70s with his family and started his own real estate business and a bunch of other adventures. So I applied for the job for Broken Arrow to be the city manager back in late 2003. So I got an opportunity to interview, and I came down uh, the day before my interview And I asked Larry if he'd take me around town because he knew where everything was. And he said, yes, absolutely, Michael. In fact, there's somebody I want you to meet that's a a very prominent citizen uh, business owner that uh, I think it'd be good if you meet him. So he he said, meet me at Applebee's at uh, 101st and Elm. And we met with Scott Graham, Mm -hmm. who was the uh, president owner of First National Bank. So, So in 2004, the place to be because Bass Pro wasn't here at the time, was yeah. was what we now know as New Orleans Square. That's and crazy so when see, you see the Rose yeah. District and how yeah. it is it, now. It, it that, is. that was the place. We talked about the Rose District mm-hmm. at that meeting because I I was preparing myself for the for the uh, interview, and they were just in the you know Farha Deroga had uh, started the the help with the planning mm-hmm. initiative. They were just in the planning stages yeah. of. Trying to think about what the Rose District was actually what we know as is today. It Back then, it was just yeah. a thought mm-hmm. New Orleans Square was 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 bustling at the time. And obviously, uh, you know the one thing that I think our citizens have a hard time understanding is that internal business decisions drive a lot of um, expansions, closures, mm-hmm. new businesses. And obviously there were some things that happened there and you started to see some transition. So fast forward into 2015, when I get here and I'm looking around about what the priorities as I see, and first and foremost was we weren't um, moving on a lot of the bond projects the voters had approved from 2011, 2014, respectively. So that was my first priority. Second was I went to the council members and Deborah started in April of 2017 and said, Look, you know, we've got to do something about New Orleans, what we now know as New Orleans Square. That's all referred to it as back then. It was just, it was just, Elm, you know, basically Elm in New, New Orleans. Orleans yeah. and, Elm, yeah. and the council immediately bought into two, two things. One, um, having a citizen advisory committee that served for a specific purpose, it wouldn't just carry on a perpetuity. And then I said, We need to do that on many, many other things we do. So you look at the involvement of our citizens. And just about every single thing we do, the council immediately, like, are we going to have an advisory committee, whether it's a microtransit, um, you know, whether it is uh, streets for all, whether it is uh, our zoning, the council believes that more residents actually should should be involved. So with regard to New Orleans Square, we created a committee and they looked at everything from the current conditions from the private side as well as the public side public side being the improvements. Uh, what's the conditions of the road, the sidewalks, the walkability. And they were comparing it in many cases to the Rose district where the city had spent a great deal of money to do public improvements. And with public improvements, the belief is that that's incentivizing the private sector to step in and to, and to make pub, uh, the, the private improvements as a result of the public improvements. And so they came up with recommendations uh, after probably about a year. And one of the main recommendations they had was the fact that we need to to revitalize the intersection itself, and and do it taking an, an old shopping center concept of four quadrants, and actually, how do you make that something that is going to be very viable, similar to the Rose District? And I think what we're about ready to say is complete, uh, with the punch of work, you know, basically done is something similar is that we can be very proud to say that we now created something that we believe is gonna be the first step in the revitalization of the area. I think the Rose District
0: is a good good template, if you will, a good uh, barometer for that whole uh, saying, if you build it, they will come. Yeah, because we've seen that happen there. And I would imagine that that was part of the thought process that went into this. This was well before my time here at the city, but this was part of the process that if we do these public infrastructure improvements, that it's going to bring in right. more businesses to come in. Now, is, that the, is that the goal? Was that the idea?
1: I mean, absolutely. And, I mean, and we've seen it already in one section of our, our community, so it made sense that investing could bring the same outcome. So, absolutely.
2: Well, yeah. I think the most important word here, not to be trite, but the, that it comes to mind when you ask that question, and I look at the commitment of the councils, is tenacity. Because this isn't easy. I mean, there's right. there's things that are are a lot easier to work on in our community, and a lot of communities don't take the time or effort in policy or resources to do revitalization, and we do. And I couldn't be more than a thousand percent behind this because I know that is a very viable area of our of our city. But you think about the policies, the overlays that we've actually look at, the fact that we've committed public resources to redo the intersection, and, and we're just getting started. Uh, We're going to be talking about other things that we can do, such as the relocation of some utility lines. But I also think that there are other initiatives that we can undertake that could create additional private investment, because that's what this is really, really all about. I mean, you can't grow an economy or, or sustain economy with public sector jobs. The school district in the city or the county, that's not what drives a community. What drives a community is your manufacturing, your industrial and those higher-paying jobs, also you have to have the businesses that support the citizens, and that's especially important in Oklahoma because we're so heavily dependent upon sales tax. Which, you know, I'll let the mayor comment on it. We we deal with this all the time about about tax policies and making sure that we that the legislature understands we need to look differently about how we fund our cities. Absolutely,
1: um, and that's the other thing about South Broken Arrow is that we don't have our we're getting there, but didn't have white-collar and blue-collar jobs in that area. People, like 83% of our citizens, go out of our city to work every single day. Well, they may eat breakfast outside of our city. They're definitely eating lunch out of our city. They may stop for dinner or grab groceries at their favorite grocery store outside of Broken Arrow, which, by the way, our sales tax is lower than anywhere else. But um, just <laughs> want to point that out. But that's what was happening mainly in the South Broken Arrows, because there wasn't really – Options for them outside of that. And they were already outside of our city, so they would just take advantage of being outside of our city. So, but what they weren't thinking, and you kind of almost have to have a one on one conversation with people to remind them I know you like the Sprouts, that's in Bigsby because it's closer, but it's really important that you drive to our Sprouts in North Broken Arrow because that stays in our city. Those sales tax dollars pay for our infrastructure and those streets that you want widened and improved. It pays for our fire and our police officers, and you want them to actually be able to come to your house, you know, when you have an, you know, have an emergency, Well, Bixby Fire and police are not coming to your house? I mean, they might if we ask them to, but <laughs> mutual aid and all that aside. But um, your sales tax dollars need to stay in our city as much as possible. You have to really be intentional about what you're doing in your city that you live and in, in, and play, you know, your quality of life here. You really have to be intentional on making sure you, you shop local and you spend those dollars local. So having the South, having New Orleans Square, you know, revitalized and all the new things that are coming even outside of New Orleans Square, which I would believe has something to do with the fact that we're focusing mm-hmm. our efforts on South Broken Arrow. Um, is, is really helping build that the next catalyst that's going to, you know, create the more employ, employment jobs mm-hmm. and stuff like that and more businesses in South Broken Arrow.
2: You know, I'll tell you, Aaron, if you ask what I'm excited about or, or you look at the accomplishments, I mean, the intersection itself it's uh, is, is going to yeah. be amazing. And I, the, here's, here's a small example of of the tenacity of the council and how we partner with the private sector is that when Hobby Lobby closed, mm-hmm. you know, obviously um, we took a proverbial political <laughs> beating yes. because the residents thought we had something to do with, and really it came down to traffic counts and that Hobby Lobby wanted to be – in an area where there's 90,000 90, cars a day that go past Hobby Lobby right there, where it's at, right off the north on, on Highway 51. And have the
1: opportunity to own their own building. Yes, that's right. right? And, they,
2: and that is exactly right. They, they own that building. So that building's vacant. So we had a church come to us and wanted to actually rezone that property. And we've got examples in the community where churches have gone into an, an, a more mature um, retail Stripsen, commercial and, yeah. area and helped revitalize it. Mm. And so we went to the, the church that was interested and said, hey, you know, we can work with you. However, we want something unique is we want a partner with you. We want you to agree to do a certain amount of commercial retail. Included into that building. Yeah. That's exactly right. And from that genesis of having that conversation, they were more than willing to do that. And as a result, we've, we've got um, a great pizza place, we have a, a, a retail store that's doing very very well everybody loves to go to uh, the summers market yep. and we got uh, an expansion of the uh, the water's edge winery it's like so, their event center yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so look at that that's that's from just going and have a conversation and they're also required to work with us to do nine to eleven thousand square feet of freestanding. Uh, type commercial retail, which we're we're currently working right now with the developer that wants to do that. Mm-hmm. And that's from just trying to partner with the private sector. And so those kind of conversations, I think there's additional conversations that we can have. But to go and say, okay, this is what we'd like to see, and them to agree to it.
1: Really and really thinking see outside the of private. the box on things like that is kind of unique. and It is,
0: very much. I think it's one of those things that people don't look at New Orleans Square as being a really good example of that private-public partnership. Because, as you say, I mean, this was this was a huge part of it yeah. to get us to where we're going. Uh, favorite parts of the intersection, as it is now, these improvements?
1: Um, well, I love the streetlights. I, I just love the – it's the little things. You always say it's the armor all on, that's you right. know, on, on things, and the, the street lights and the new street signs, and I'm about aesthetics. So um, that's my favorite about well, it. Well, I
2: will tell you this, just to, to dovetail on what the mayor said, is that – we're going to be actually starting to paint a lot of our uh, utility poles. I mean, sorry, uh, traffic yeah. signal poles that are gray, that that's kind of like a flat gray in black around the community. To actually, because it does give you that sizzle. Mm-hmm. It's a very small expense, but it provides so much community pride. And when you start to think about uh, communities that you go to where you see that 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 little bit of enhancement, mm-hmm. you you see those small little things. Yeah. And and the council has said. The residents, and more importantly, have said they want those same, same things here. And so, you know, the administration, Rocky Hinkle specifically, is working on uh, with the engineering construction team about uh, the bid specs to actually start painting the uh, traffic signal pulse black to, to not only for new orleans square or downtown in the rose district but but basically in key intersections across the city yeah, that's that's so great because it's a little detail yeah. that sets you apart and there's a
0: huge difference between that dull gray silverish hole from that really <laughs> nice yeah. black and it's yeah. just paint that's yeah. all it is mm-hmm. i mean you see it at your house you know it's time to paint this room yeah you know, let's give it a fresh coat and it just changes everything yeah. you
2: know what's funny is that, that when we first started newland the square former community development director Larry Curtis had some um, unique ideas to do things to draw attention yeah. and one of the things that <laughs> it was really interesting when we first put the piano out there and talk about the piano yeah and, and we also did the temporary striping um I can't even describe how some people just went out of their mind, thinking that, that the city <laughs> did something yeah. and we we wasted public tax dollars. But it was really about these uh, placemaking opportunities. Yeah. And from from and this is what's cool about this: from those placemaking opportunities, the council said we want New Orleans Square to be where we're going to go for our, our Fourth of July celebration. And so that's the kind of opportunities that people are gonna get down there. And then it becomes upon, comment upon the businesses that we've got the people there. And we got a lot of businesses that are getting excited about the fact they're gonna get that opportunity because there'll be thousands of folks there on, on July 1st. And this is yeah. the
0: third time, this is gonna be the third year for the yes. Black Party, correct? What have what the businesses told you, the, the people who own the businesses, the people that work in the businesses, how excited are they that the city is putting this kind of effort and trying to bring people in, especially on such a historic day as you know 4th uh, of July? What have they told you? I mean, well, how do they show their appreciation? Like through the
1: years, like I mean the three years that we have been doing it and started the focus. Obviously it's been painful during the construction of it all, but the very fact that a city puts focus and actually does events in their in their backyard or front yard, per se, Um, and brings thousands of people. Like, I can remember when when I would put on events, you know, when I had a store on Main Street and the importance, or if the city had an event or something, like how thankful I was that, like, they are doing something. They're going out of their way. We don't have to do that. We could have put, you know, the 4th of July event out in the events park, right? We have an events park. That would have been a great place to to have a 4th of July, you know, celebration. But we knew how important it was to draw attention and awareness to that area of town. Um, So... I think they're they're definitely excited. They they love the the attention that it brings to them. Um, hopefully, they're all like gearing up and having specials ready to go, and you know, just and reasons for people to stop in, you know, in their places while the event's going on because they're they're open during the time as well. So it's not just in the evening because it starts during the day. So it's pretty good.
0: Yeah, it's a fantastic party. It's a great yeah. time for yeah. the community and everybody
2: to come together.
0: So looking cool. ahead,
2: what's next? Well, that's, that's a great question, and, and we're not just going to set on the successes we have because that's not what we do. Sometime later this year, as a part of this fiscal year, we'll go talk to PSO and discuss with them the preliminaries of what we need to do to start the process of looking at the relocation of the utilities. Because that's a bond. That's something we can either use some of the uh, the PSO funds that we have with the with the approval of the new franchise, or if it's going to be uh, something that may be more than, than some funds are available, and we can look at the next round of general obligation bond packages. So we'll begin that. But the other thing that I'm very excited about is that even though that it, you may think that the area is completely mature and developed, it's not. There are lands available. Uh, what I would in basically the, the northwest quadrant and their lands available to the west of the, of the southwest quadrant. And I would really like to talk to the council about what incentive opportunities there are that we could actually look at to try to once again see if those properties that are available could um, be put in some type of district, like say for a tax incremental financing district. Um, to where we could help try to provide some small incentives to the private sector to make additional improvements or try to work with the businesses on how a, a tax increment finance district could work about how, they, if they make improvements, how, how those improvements could benefit them mm-hmm. uh, to, to basically to incentivize them to make more private investment. Because once again, it's all about job creating, with regard to New Orleans Square, in the surrounding area, it's all about the creation of jobs, and providing more lo- opportunities to shop local because I think the mayor hit on something that was very important is the amount of sales tax that comes to New Orleans Square is much more significant than it is within the Rose District. A lot of times people think that the Rose District is our top sales tax generator. It, it, it is not. It's a, yeah. it is a great investment. It's doing wonderful. Um, however, if you look at if you look at New Orleans Square, I mean it's it's doing very well. I mean I think there's what least fifteen or sixteen, if not more, restaurants, Mayor.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and you think about like you know when we did the revitalization of the Rose District, we had what seventeen thousand in sales tax revenue mm-hmm. a year, and we're over like six hundred thousand in revenue. So definitely, it's return amazing. on investment mm-hmm. is good there. Um, and to think that New Orleans Square, even even in its what some people think is still in its low time, you know, still generating double, if not more than double, you mm-hmm. know, um, is it's pretty impressive and. I think it's really important for people to get out there and really see like this new uh, the plant place that's out there. I haven't been out there yet. Have you guys been there? No, uh, I have not. Palomas is that what it's called? Yes. Yeah, I heard I think they've think got so. just amazing plants. You know, it's just this unique little plant shop. So there's just so many unique opportunities out there in New Orleans Square that people need to go and check out and um, and visit and spend money. So, well, you got <laughs> Crunch, yeah. the, uh, yeah, the Crunch the business, gym is, yeah, Crunch
2: Fitness. Yeah, you know, I think the vice mayor chief shared pictures. On, on social media this last couple of days showing the the, the fact yeah. that we have got walls going up in there for, for that new workout facility and obviously that's a driver I mean mm-hmm. actually having a workout facility in a in a shopping center drives people to the businesses before and after uh, they work out whether that's right. coffee on your yeah, on your absolutely. way to work or, or or basically something to eat on the way to work or on the way home. And so it's just it's been proven that, you know, they actually can drive and, and it can help thr- help a, um, a, a shopping center, like shopping area like New Orleans Square Thrive.
0: And how great is that, that you have a business that's taking over for that, let's face it, abandoned building? Absolutely. You Large, know, it just huge. sat there for, yeah. for quite a while and now a tenant is going in there and, Promoting healthy lifestyle, that yep. sort of thing. I mean, it's just it. It really does kind of show that redevelopment of the area, and that folks see the potential, and they're willing to bring their businesses in.
1: And that's exactly. I mean, we actually needed that. We do have, you know, we have locally owned smaller gyms, but we don't. We didn't have big gyms in the south side of Broken Arrow, so that'll help. I mean, there's some on the, you know, south. Biggsby side that might be upset that we're going to pull away from them, but that's okay. We'll be okay. It's
2: They'll be okay. <laughs> less than five, be less than five minutes from my front door, uh-huh. and that yeah. doesn't this that that's really good when you're talking five fifty in the morning. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. absolutely. You know, yeah. versus uh, having to go a little bit further. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are happening, and we're trying to stay in constant contact. Steve Yoder, I need to send a shout out to to Steve Yoder. He's a member of Jennifer Rush's. Uh, economic and uh, tourism, economic development team. He spends a lot of time, Mm -hmm. just like Brent Brassfield does in the Rose District, talking to merchants, especially during the construction, about what's happening and then having uh, monthly or quarterly meetings uh, with them, trying to get them to to create an association to where they actually talk amongst themselves and, and uh are to building relationships because as the mayor knows is that they're all we're all in this together I yeah. mean they're all trying to accomplish the same thing it really feels like a a new era
0: out there at New Orleans Square sure. it, you know I mean it's just because the improvements have come to an end as far as that that project is concerned we're really just at the beginning I mean you said yeah. it before I mean this is really just the beginning of this of this whole revitalization effort out there. Well,
2: it is, and I, you know the mayor knows these things. So I'm going to go ahead and mention them. Is that if you just have to you know close your eyes for a minute and just envision, one of the things we have to do in the next bond package is from from New Orleans Square at New Orleans down to Florence. The city didn't widen that road to five lanes. Okay, and so I fully anticipate that the council will approve in the next bond package the funds and the right of way was already basically there. To actually put a turn lane because that's that's a safety issue. So if you just envision this for a second, is that we want to widen that. So you're basically gonna it's a wider help to accommodate all the traffic because that is a very busy intersection. We've also talked about putting an outer road along the uh, the turnpike on the north from New Orleans, excuse me, from Elm Place mm-hmm. over to Aspen to Basically Aspen Ridge, and so we know resources and and another two hundred thousand square feet of commercial. And the council is going to be looking at some other opportunities. The innovation district could have a road that connects to Aspen. In just a few years, we could actually have an outer road that connects all the way up to Elm Place, and then you just may head north and you're right there at New Orleans Square. Or if you're in New Orleans Square, all you got to do is go all the way down the turnpike. You don't have to get on. You could go on the outer road that actually take you to that viable area that we're working on now. And we've also starting to see some movement with the uh, shops at Aspen Creek. And so I can tell you, um, there is so much that is happening right now. And the traffic counts, and this is something that I found out just recently, is that for years, the traffic counts on the creek turnpike in that area were around 12,000. Well, we recently met with the Oklahoma uh, the uh, the Turnpike Authority, and the traffic counts in the area are now around twenty thousand wow. per day. And so, we're you look at about an eight percent growth. I understand mm-hmm. the vice mayor was telling me about an eight percent growth per year is what they're seeing. And so, you can see the traffic counts are coming up, which we we knew that they would because of all the homes that are being built there and more to be built. So, you can starting to see it's it's not a coincidence that. With the growth in the traffic counts and the growth in the homes, the private sector now sees that the, the homes that are here and enough in the area where they draw those circles that they can support the investments they're making, which are going to return to the city is the sales tax dollars to help us maintain the quality of life in our city. Yeah. It's like I said before, build it and they will come. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to mention just real quick, you mentioned our vice mayor, I was uh, speaking of shout-outs. Uh, of course, the council, all the council loves – all areas of our city, right? I mean, we're over our own wards, but we really, truly are passionate about building the entire city. But she has really done an amazing job of focusing and and contacting all of the you know the business owners and getting out there and supporting them. That's her ward, um, and she's she's done a fantastic job of making sure that you know that people are aware of what's going on over there. And so I just wanted to give her just a quick shout out for that, so.
2: Well, I don't know what her middle name is, but if it was, whatever it is, it should be Tenacity. (laughs) Seriously, because she, the mayor's correct. And I was hoping the mayor was going to mention, uh, you know, her efforts because, I mean, she has just been tenacious in a a wonderful way about making sure that that we have um, opportunities in every part of the city. And, you know, what's interesting is the traffic counts are coming up, the city's providing awareness now we're starting to see a lot of interest to the east yeah. and and so so what's happening is is that exactly what uh, you know I believed 8 years ago was going to happen when we start bringing traffic counts up and bringing awareness is this happening there and it's it's just getting started like you said but there's other parts of our community that are also going to start to see the same amount the same amount of interest going forward because um, The fact that more folks are moving to our community because Broken Arrow, I've said this and the mayor said this, is that a lot of people that are looking to come to Oklahoma, uh, one of the first places they look obviously is very close to where they want to work. But if they are looking somewhere in northeast Oklahoma, Broken Arrow is one of the first places Mm -hmm. they look at because we're a safe city is because we're a thriving city is because we have citizens that care and, and there's the, the things that they want and they see, they see them in broken arrow. Totally.
0: Really are exciting times right now in broken arrow. It's progress is promised. Yep. So any last words before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, I think we hit it all. I
0: for the
2: first time, this is pretty cool,
1: like Mayor.
0: <laughs> I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Mayor, thank you for your time. City Manager, thank you for your time. And right now, we are going to throw it over to Lisa Jones and Jordan Cuckler for the news. All
3: right. What's up, everybody? My name is Jordan Cuckler, and I'm here with Lisa Jones. And this is the news section of the podcast. If you made it this far, congrats. You're in it deep Keep going, you'll make it to the end, I promise. But this segment is just uh, we're gonna break down a couple things that are going on in the city and to keep you all in the know. So, Lisa, I'm gonna let you start it off.
4: First of all, we have a brand new city council member. Yes, we do. We're very excited. His name is Justin Green, he's for Ward 4, and he's a corporal with the Tulsa County Sheriff's Office, and he supervises the school resource officers. He was one of nine people that put in letters of Um, interest for the position with the city council, and a majority of the city council members selected Mr. Green as the uh, new Ward 4 counselor.
3: Nice. Yeah, we're we're super excited for him to get started, and I know he's going to do great things in our community. And we're we're extremely excited that that seat has officially been filled. Yes. So, oh, anything else?
4: I was just going to okay. say, he and his wife Tiffany have three kids, and he um, and she is the principal at Timber Ridge. So they're fully invested in the community, and I th- I think he's going to be a great fit.
3: I love it. Next up, um, recent news that BA made the top 100 best places to live list, according to uh, livability.com. Just so I get my facts (laughs) right, I'm going to read from this. Um, So they take a bunch of different data points, Mm -hmm. and they come up with this top 100 list, and it it involves, you know, the economy, the housing Mm -hmm. um, in the area, the cost of living, amenities, all that good stuff. And they take that data and... They determined that Broken Arrow was on that list, and we're lucky enough to work for this amazing city, and um, they just, you know, it kind of complements, I think a couple years ago, Broken Arrow was ranked 11th safest city in America, according to Money Geek. I believe that is right, and so it kind of just a cool compliment that on top of that, we're also in that top 100 places right. to live, and it just shows that Broken Arrow is an incredible place to work, play, and live. So we're, we're incre- incredibly um, excited to be recognized there, and I know our, our community is awesome.
4: This is the place to be.
3: It is, 100%. And then, uh, just to close things off, we have the big New Orleans Square Block Party coming up, and mm-hmm. I know this is a huge event all around, and thousands and thousands of people come out. Um, there's going to be a kid zone, tons of food trucks. I believe there's a huge music performance with some rock yeah, um, legendaries and yes yes I love it I personally I know a couple not all of them but it sounds like it's going to be a great time it's actually um, called the
4: voices of rock yeah. and it's like a mixture of guys from Journey and um, Boston and Leonard Skinnerd and all kinds of people so it, it's going to be a really fun time
3: and then to top it all off the incredible fireworks show you can't beat it Absolutely. it gets better every year and I hear this year is going to be 10 times better. And it's going to start around somewhere around 10, just so people know. Be so there or be square. Be there or be square. I love it. <laughs> so we're super excited. And if you want to you know, find more information about that, just go to our website. And all the info is there. And we'll, we'll see you all out there. And anything else you want to add
4: into this? I think we got it.
3: Awesome. So we're going to close things off now. We're going to pass it over to um, Aaron McCulloch and City Manager Michael Spurgeon for Rounding Third.
4: Thanks, guys.
0: So this is Rounding Third with City Manager Michael Spurgeon. Mr. Spurgeon, thank you for joining us today.
2: Great to see you. Actually, to be talking to you, Aaron. Well, and we
0: got cameras here, too, so they'll be seeing <laughs> us as well. So see, here, it, it's all of it. Uh, so this segment is where we take a look at some of the actions the City Council took over the last month. And we're taping this about eight days after the storms that came through on June 17th and 18th. And on June 19th, City Council had a uh, emergency meeting and council approved and the mayor signed an emergency declaration. Tell us a little bit about that. Explain what an emergency declaration is for those folks who don't understand.
2: Well, let's step back and let me say first and foremost that uh, every uh, storm, every situation where there's the potential for a disaster declaration to be issued is different. Uh, Rarely are there two events essentially that are the same. It may seem like they are because uh, it could be high winds, could be potential tornado. Uh, There's also man-made type events where you have uh, a natural gas explosion, for example. There's other man-made events that could could happen. And so I've always taken the approach in 35 years is that every situation is different. And the first thing I wanted to share with regard to the recent event that uh, just happened to Broken Arrow was the planning for that event started a couple of days in advance because the the weather patterns were showing that we were going to receive some very high winds um, set late Saturday night, early, early Sunday morning. And so Emergency Management Director Jamie Ott and I, along with a lot of the leadership team, began preparing in anticipation of the possibility of, of having some wind damage as a result of uh, or probably some of the unprecedented winds that we've ever seen in our community. And so all that happened just a little bit after midnight, and we went into action immediately based on our emergency operation plan and started um, focusing on, was there a need to do any type of uh, rescue? And that's always the first step after your initial planning is uh, a rescue. We, we rely upon the police and fire departments respectively to be out within the community to determine if there's a situation in this case, as a tree fallen on someone's house, on their vehicle, or were they unfortunately out in the, in the, in the uh, high winds and, and were injured. And that's the first thing you do is you, you focus on, on, on rescue. Uh, once we determine that uh, that phase of the event uh, actually wind down, then we actually start doing the damage assessment. And in this case, we started doing damage assessment at the same time as we started doing the actual recovery, which consisted of primarily of removing all of the debris, fallen trees, any materials that were on our road, roadways, and we started with doing arterials, and then we moved into the neighborhood neighborhood residential areas of our community. And we did that for really uh, two reasons. Number one, so emergency services would have the ability to get to wherever they needed to get to within our community to provide aid if needed. And secondly, is to make sure that because when I knew for a fact just from what I could see when I was driving around is that we were we had large power outages, and we wanted PSO to be able to get to uh, their their lines. And so that's that's a process we used. Uh, sun came up Sunday morning. We began the damage assessment. As as you uh, start to do the damage assessment, you're always thinking, is there going to be a need to declare a disaster? Uh, is there going to be a need for requesting assistance? And that's a part of the damage assessment. And so Mayor Wimpy reached out to me. We we were communicating early Sunday morning, and she's asking, do we need to do a, a disaster declaration? And, and in concert, Jamie Ott and I have just decided that let's finish the damage assessment and see where we're at And eventually we determined that we we needed to issue one simply to make sure that we had access to resources in the event um, that we had something that we were not prepared for was, for example, a critical infrastructure was damaged or so forth. Uh, But a part of that damage assessment is helps you determine if there's a need and a lot of times damage assessments will will reveal that there's a need for a disaster declaration. in this case, disaster declaration, as I've always used them, uh, do I not have the resources locally to be able to handle that that disaster? And there have been times in my career, uh, especially with flooding, when we needed to de- declare one um, because we knew that we were going to be overwhelmed. And in this case, we were fortunate enough with our pre-planning and, uh, to be able to say in the type of event that we had, uh, we were able to manage it And so we were able to do concurrently our damage assessment as long with basically start clearing the roadways. And so Monday morning, I determined that we did need to actually do the disaster declaration. And then the mayor called for a special meeting at 450 on Monday, and the council passed it unanimously.
0: So just to be clear, this wasn't called because of a manpower issue. We were able to manage, the city was able to manage the uh, the storm, if you will, the recovery efforts. This was more of a because of the damage that was done to be able to recoup some money. Is that why this is, this emergency declaration was, was was signed?
2: Well, the the thing about disasters that sometimes because we hear the word FEMA, we hear the word state uh, getting involved, state uh, civil defense, emergency management. Uh, the bottom line is that every event is still a local event. Uh, that v- event is the responsibility of the municipality and you call for assistance based on your need. And to answer your question, in this particular situation, we determined that we could manage this event except for the electricity, obviously, because we don't uh, we don't provide electricity, is that in, in terms of the arterials, the recovery, um, you know, looking at is there a need for rescue, our folks could handle this. And so we are very comfortable that we were uh, evaluating this. I do think that there's been some misunderstanding about uh the issuance of a disaster declaration in this particular incident and if the city would have done it earlier uh that means would po would have been in our, pso would have been in our community center and that's simply not the case i mean two totally different things here uh, they are some people have obviously no one wants to be without power um, i was without power for example myself from right after midnight on uh, sunday morning through wednesday afternoon um you know basically they were focusing on they they have priorities and from what I've been told from many conversations with PSO is they divided the city, the Tulsa metropolitan area, into four quadrants. And they assigned a similar amount of resources for each one of those quadrants. And then those folks that were in charge of each of those quadrants, they made the decision in terms of how to bring everything back up. And a lot of times they focused on uh, those areas such as the hospitals or where there is a need to, to, um, to, to render aid. Those are a lot of the uh, the uh, most important things, Criti- critical infrastructure, being able to make sure you can provide uh, safe drinking water and to process your wastewater. There's so many factors that go into the determination. And obviously, no one wants to be getting by having their electricity turned off, but there's a process. The fact that we, we waited to finish our damage assessment, and it's not as easy as some people think. You just drive down three streets and you see uh, a number of trees down. To say that there's been a disaster, I have to look at everything. I have to look at um, the trees that are down. I have to look at our water plant, our sewer plant. I have to look at city buildings. All that have to, all that has to be uh, determined before I can make a, a thorough recommendation to the mayor, which is exactly what uh, Jamie Ott, the emergency manager director, and I did on Sunday, and then Monday morning we recommended to the mayor. But I want to make it clear, she was communicating with me throughout the entire Sunday. Uh, waiting for me to determine if we need to do that on a Monday morning, we felt comfortable in being able to, we can justify that recommendation.
0: And it takes a thorough review. I know that we have something like 1250 lane miles of publicly owned streets here in the city. So when you think about that, it takes a thorough review to make a proper assessment to, to, to do these emergency declarations. It's going to take a little bit of time. And so that's where we have to have a little bit of patience, a little bit of grace, that we are doing our due diligence here and making sure that um, everything is on the up and up.
2: Well, that's exactly right. And to be more specific, uh, the police department on, uh, obviously we needed for the sun to come up. You know, this mm-hmm. happened in, in the, in the, in the dead of night, uh, shortly after midnight and you really can't complete an accurate assessment until the sun comes up. So you can actually start doing those, those uh, drive through the community to make that determination. Our police department I was in communication many times with, with Jamie as well as the PD, and then our operational updates we had on Sunday. Uh, the police had, was pretty much everywhere, and I know the, the fire department was out there uh, reporting in what they saw, they saw as well, and all the information was coming back to, to Jamie Ott so he and I could discuss exactly where we're at. And I, I think our police department, I know that Captain Stephen Garrett gave two three updates uh, on Sunday that were just really stellar in terms of The damage that he observed and his team observed while they were out there and which is greatly appreciated i also need to mention rocky hinkle our street and stormwater director uh, as soon as the uh, the event was over his folks mobilized shortly thereafter and they began putting up uh, appropriate barricades where the roads were not passable until they could get to them in the morning they started putting up stop signs in areas where traffic signals had lost power and making sure that for those that had to get out at that particular time it, it was, they weren't gonna be going into areas they shouldn't because sometimes you could see down lines and just because it's down line doesn't mean that line is not is not is not, is not energized. And so you need to block those areas off to ensure the safety of of the residents or, or, or motorists that are in that area. And then if intersections that are basically lost power to make sure that folks have some orderly way to be able to get through it.
0: Well, it seemed like a fantastic response from all the city crews from solid waste to recycling, to streets, police, fire. It really seemed like a coordinated effort to make sure that the city was in a good place immediately after the storm.
2: Well, you asked me what time it is sometimes, and I got to build you a clock. Is and that I what re- you just did earlier? That's that is exactly <laughs> right because it's you know it's not it's not as cut and dry as simple as everyone right. thinks or, or believes that it, that it is. Every every incident that you have is different. I don't think there's two that are alike, and we approach them with all the knowledge we have as individuals and as a team. But we take them. We take them as okay. This is this event. What do we need to, to deal with to address all the issues that go along with recovery and getting people back, basically, back to some level of normal.
0: Well, appreciate <laughs> all of your efforts and your leadership during that time. Let's shift gears. We have a new city councilor. We do. What do you think of Justin Green?
2: Uh, I've had the privilege of uh, visiting with Justin on several occasions. I had the opportunity to talk to him a couple of times uh, before council actually. Um, uh, decided to basically appoint him. Uh, he was gracious enough to reach out to me and want to visit. And what I found was uh, an individual. And he wasn't the
0: only one who reached out to you at that time who had submitted a letter of interest. You had others reach out to you as well, too.
2: Oh, yes. I had several yep. that actually reached out that expressed interest in in the position, which which I was glad to see. I mean, obviously, this open position and the fact that the city so transparent that it, it generated a lot of interest. And we can talk about that because I'm sure you probably have some questions about about the process and what happened last, last Monday night in that special meeting. But specifically with regard to Justin, he did reach out to me, and I had a chance to learn a little bit about him. And what I found out after those meetings was uh, it's a gentleman that has been very involved in Broken Arrow in many different respects for a very, very long time. His wife, for example, works in the Broken Arrow Public School District. And so they have some pretty deep uh, roots into Broken Arrow and that whole process we went through was, was very interesting. And so far, you know, in just a week, I mean, he's, he came to our operational meeting we had with uh, the governor when he stopped in town last, last Friday. Uh, he's been uh, communicating with staff, and now we're getting ready for the, uh, the big task of setting him up for his orientation into the organization. And that is a self-paced, uh, probably two- to four-month process of him getting to intimately uh, know uh, what's going on, at, a, at a, uh, a policy level, uh, what's happening in all the respective departments within the organization, because when, because when he sits up there, his next meeting, short of a special meeting, will be on July 17th. He's making multimillion-dollar decisions in some cases. He's also weighing in on policy that are currently under, under consideration by the council. And so it's my responsibility, along with the rest of the leadership team, to get him up to speed as quickly as possible. And he has, I believe, the proverbial hit the ground running and is very excited and anxious to get started.
0: So you talked about the process, or you hit on the process. Let's talk about that a little bit. City Council held a special meeting on uh, June 19th to speak with those who are interested in the position for Ward 4. I think there were nine. uh, I think we had ten that had actually put in for. I think there were nine that, that showed up to speak to them. Is that typical of the process for whenever you have a vacancy to to have a special meeting like that to hear from them? Is that
2: normal? Is it rare? Is you tell me the fact that you know council there were two shalls in the law, which to me my definition of shall was at least consider the appointment of someone. If you couldn't reach a consensus, then the second part of it would have uh, kicked in to actually go to the vote of the people. Um, yes, we had nine. And each one was given a, an, a what I think is a reasonable amount of time to come up. They all submitted letters of interest. And many included their resumes. And they got up and talked about about really the common theme was uh, their love for Broken Arrow. Number one, uh, secondly, wanting to be involved in a in a community that they all felt was going in the right direction in terms of growth. Um, basically, great place to live, work, and raise a family. There was a lot of consistent themes in whatever one had to say. And so to hear everyone, and I think what what you got was unfortunately the council only had one position, but what you got or council did was because they've become very active over the last five, six years of creating ad hoc committees to look at and provide recommendations on many different things, such as the Advisory Committee for New Orleans Square. Micro transit, the city's transit system, the Streets for All that we're currently working on, the gateways—these are small committees that that work for a short period of time. I think they just found eight additional people that might be interested in getting involved, and then we'll see what happens. What in in two years in terms of any of those that are that are still interested, because the appointment is only for two years, which means um, Councilor Green will have to make a determination in February of 2025 if he's going to file. Uh, to actually run for that seat for the remaining two years. And we'll see if any of those uh, folks that showed up on the 19th or others may decide they want to throw their proverbial hat in the ring and, and may, uh, stand before the voters uh, for election in 2025.
0: Well, it was a good showing. I, I-, I love the transparency of having – all the counselors there uh, or having the, uh, have the uh, people who are interested there and just to go over the time commitment, the responsibilities and that sort of thing. I thought it was, I thought it was a really fascinating time and uh, it it was a good time to be a Broken Arrow citizen. So speaking of city counselors, you've told me often that one of the most important things that the city counselors have to do is they have to adopt the budget. And that was one of the things they did later in that meeting $355 million budget I applaud you, sir, for managing that. <laughs> How difficult is that?
2: Well, the, the budget process tr- traditionally or officially usually runs uh, just in the month of May and June. That's when we actually present it to the city council in, in May and then they adopt it in, in June. Uh, the budget process works out, where actually, we do the budgeting all, uh, you know, t- basically 24 7, 365. It's not just a two month process. And You know, basically it is it is a a daunting $355 million. The city now has close to a 1000 full and part time employees. Um, We're trying to make sure and which is my responsibility as city manager to, to, to basically determine what level of personnel and support and resources we need to meet the expectations of our community. And to me, the expectations are maintain and improve upon the quality of life that we have in our city. And so we have six or seven areas of focus that we, we spend most of our time, which maybe we can talk about in, in another, in another, another segment, because I think the, the folks would appreciate knowing uh, f- from my perspective, what I speak to council quite a bit about is these seven tenants, which is what we try to, every single thing we do, we try to focus around these, these seven areas which help maintain the great quality of life that we have in our city and, and, also try to build upon that quality of life. I mean, Broken Air is a community that people are coming to, not going from, and there's reasons for that. There's reasons for that on things that we do every single day, which we use the budget to fund those initiatives, to fund those operations. Then there's other entities within the community like the Chamber of Commerce, the Economic Development Corporation, the Broken Air Public Schools, Union Public Schools. Uh, there's so many entities that are out there also doing great things that are contributing to the high quality of life that, that exists within our city. But in terms of the budget, uh, it's a labor of love. I mean, to me, my budget message, which is between 20 and 30 pages every year, uh, gives anyone that reads it a very good snapshot of what the priorities are for the year, uh, what our uh, total budget for, whether it's the total budget, the general fund, utilities, is going to be for the coming year, uh, what priorities we're going to work on, any challenges we have coming. And so I really try to lay it out so anyone that may not be familiar with actually the budget process can go look at that message and, and come away with uh, a good understanding of where we are and probably generate questions. And we're starting to get a lot of those questions. And what I'm excited about as a part of this budget, there's a couple things, if I if you don't mind, if Please. I can share those. Um, I think it's important every few years to take a citizen survey, and we need to look at uh, some questions and get those out to the community and ask them how we're doing. Are we focusing on the things that they also believe are important and hear what they have to say about about the, the direction that we're going? In addition to ask them questions about what kind of projects they'd like to see us undertake in the future, as whether it's a project we do in the current capital budget or if it's something we look at doing as a part of the next general obligation bond package. And, and a part of your leadership, uh, later this year and early in 2024, your team is going to be actually finalizing that survey and sending it out so we can gather that information and so we can see exactly if there's any need for any course corrections uh, based on their uh, the responses in terms of uh, providing good public policy and good day-to-day services to our citizens
0: into the communications team back over there behind the cameras. You all heard it here first.
2: (laughs) Yeah, you got a great team, Aaron. I mean, every single one of them understands what is expected of them. And I think they go out of their way all the time. Uh, and you can see that when you're, when you're taking a day off or, or a week off, you know, uh, being with your family is it's, it's, uh, you've created a great team to where, um, there's not much drop off in, in terms of performance because you pick the right people to help lead this this division and keep our community informed on what's going on. But this is, this is a great document. I would encourage anyone that's listening or watching to go in and look at it and develop a better understanding of where we are financially, uh, where we are in terms of how we spend our dollars. There's plenty of pie charts in there. And then uh, then if they've got questions, they can contact me. They can contact any member of the city council or the mayor, and we'll be glad to answer those questions. And
0: first of all, thank you for the comments about the team. Appreciate that. They are a fantastic group, and they have a love for the city that's right up there with yours. <laughs> and so it's easy for them to, to do the jobs that they do because they, they stand behind what, what it is that we're trying to do here. Uh, a couple of things. We have this on the website. So folks can go and look at that, look at it there. You're going to send a letter out to folks with just kind of an executive summary with utility bill messaging and whatnot. And then we'll start putting together the Thrive Financial Report as well, which will have a lot of this information in it too. So I just wanted to give people a heads up that there are a couple of different ways that you can stay in the know when it comes to this sort of thing. I appreciate you joining us for rounding third. We are, we're headed home. Okay. It's now time for Be a Good Neighbor with Aubrey Cease and Michael Godfrey.
5: I'm Aubrey Sees, And I'm Mike Godfrey. We're both from the communications team here at the city.
6: Welcome to Be a Good Neighbor. This is where we close out our show with some inspiring stories from around the city about doing the good thing. So howdy, Mike. How are you?
5: I'm doing great. And uh, man, I have an awesome story for you. All right. Let's hear it. So over the past weekend, um, we had um, our fire department went out to a call and You know, normally fire departments take care of people, but in this case, they took care of some animals. Yeah. So let me ask you, are you a dog lover or a cat lover?
6: I love all God's creatures, but if I had to pick dog.
5: I'm the same. (laughs) I love all creatures as well, but I I have a cat in my house. Okay. Well, it turns out that there was both a cat and a dog um, trapped underneath like a deck, like a wooden deck. And, you know, we don't know if one was chasing the other or they both teamed up to chase another animal. We don't know that. But um, the homeowner actually called the fire department and they're like, hey, can you help us with this? And um, uh, Engine 7, along with some members of our um, animal uh, shelter, came out and uh, they got right to work. So they had to take like a floorboard out of the um, deck and... um, and they were able to rescue the animals. Both of them weren't really injured or anything like that. And, in fact, when they were done with everything, um, the firemen even, like, put the put the deck back together for them. Oh, nice. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought that was just a really good example of being a good neighbor. Like, they were out to help a homeowner with their uh, need of their four le- four-legged animal. So.
6: Yeah. That's awesome, which is so funny because I also have a first responder story oh, for really? you. Oh, really? So the Broken Arrow Police Department for Mental Health Awareness Month last month teamed up with the let's see it's DVIS, which is the domestic violence intervention services of Tulsa. They teamed up with them to kind of tackle some domestic violence issues, talk about awareness around the city, things like that. And in that relationship, they built a connection. Um, and kept in touch, and they found out that this shelter, the emergency shelter through DBIS, lost some staff, including a cook, a cleaner. So Broken Arrow Police Department Chief Brandon Berryhill approved some of those shifts to be donated in time. So these BA police officers are going down to the shelter and volunteering some of their shift time to help cook and clean. And actually I spoke to Jacqueline Wallace. She is the research and planning specialist for BAPD. And she's been going down there a couple times, and she said that the kids are starting to recognize the faces and the names of these officers and building a really good relationship and rapport and starting to open up about feeling comfortable about being in this shelter. So I thought that was a great story. And actually, the firefighters, BAFD, they're donating their personal time to go down there and also help out along with the police officers. We have some
5: really awesome people that we're fortunate to work with.
6: Yeah, and I think it would be a great idea if people wanted to share their stories with us. They can hit us up on social media or our website. So until then, we'll see you around town, neighbors. The Vibe Broken Arrow is produced by the City of Broken Arrow. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to hear more about
4: Broken Arrow, the city where opportunity lives.